You are listening to Graceway's weekly message podcast. We hope that this message encourages you to know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose, and make a difference in your community. Enjoy the message. So this, uh, this Sunday has been, has been coming for a long time. Um, Amy Patrick is, going, is here today to speak to us. We are in a series called Hearing from God. And um, I, I told you kind of how that series got formulated in my heart. And one of the big things that I hear again and again and again is I'm going through this, this season of suffering, this season of tragedy or loss. And when I go through that season, God feels distant and doesn't feel like he's listening. And so today, Amy's going to come and she's going to talk to us about hearing from God through suffering. Uh, a lot of you know her story. I'm not going to steal it from uh, from her, but she has gone through a very dark season and continues to deeply love the Lord, continues to walk with God, continues to seek Him, and that's what I want for you. So listen to me, all right? This is our sister, all right? She's one of us. I want you to make her feel at home. I want you to give her a huge Graceway welcome as we welcome to the stage Amy Patrick. Good to be with you all. I lived in Kansas City a while ago. I won't say how long ago, but it's been a little bit. Um, so I'm always glad to be back here. It feels like a little part of my heart is always here. Go Chiefs, right? <laughs> I live in St. Louis. We're a little bitter over there still about our football situation, but it's probably a story for another time. No, it's great to be with you. Um, I listened to Pastor Tim's last two sermons in this series, and I will tell you, if you miss those, you should definitely listen to them. They're a great foundation um, for life in general, for your faith in general, but also for everything that I'm going to talk about um, today on this topic of hearing God in our pain and through our suffering. Let me give you a couple of disclaimers before I get going here. I do not want to in any way present myself as an expert who has this topic all figured out. I have learned about hearing God in the midst of pain because I got thrown into the fire and I knew that I desperately needed to hear from him if I was going to survive. And I absolutely mean that literally. The majority of what I've learned over the past seven years, particularly on this topic, was just out of sheer desperation. So if in any way this morning I appear to have this all figured out, please hear me say that I definitely do not. Um, I'm just doing the best I can on the path that God has me on, that he's laid out for me. And a lot of the times my best looks pretty awkward and messy and just not great in general, okay? The second thing I want to tell you is that I absolutely do not want to burden you this morning by telling you to try harder or to do more. If suffering on any level is your current reality, then the last thing that you need to be told is that you need to try harder and do more. You're likely exhausted, at the end of yourself, barely hanging on by a thread. I get it, and I've been there, and I know what that feels like. The whole world, and particularly American culture, is constantly feeding us this line, right, about just trying harder and doing more. But if you read the New Testament, Jesus saved some of his harshest criticism for the religious leaders who did this to people. 
In Matthew 23, in talking about the Pharisees, he said they tie up these heavy burdens that are hard to bear and they put them on people's shoulders and they do not lift a finger to help move them. But the posture of Jesus towards us, which we see just a few chapters earlier in Matthew, is this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we're talking about hearing God in general or in our pain, it's not that there's nothing to do, that there's no action to take, okay? But what I'm going to talk to you about today is more of a paradigm shift, a shift in perspective that I hope will feel lighter and not heavier for you. Even when the next right thing to do feels scary or uncomfortable, when it is prompted by the Spirit of God, there is usually this accompanying sense of freedom, right, that allows you to take a deep breath and to exhale, and to step into a place that is more spacious and more gracious for you. In my experience, it resonates like that in my soul when I'm moving towards that. So that's what we're hoping for today. So my encouragement for you today is to just listen and to ask God for one thing that resonates with you. One thing that will move you closer to God and experiencing him in the midst of your pain. If you're a human being, which we all are here, you are experiencing some level of pain. This is part of the universal human experience. No one escapes it. You can have money, you can have career success, you can be one of the beautiful people according to the world's standards, you can have amazing relationships, you still cannot ever completely escape pain. Nobody does. We spend a lot of time and energy and money trying to avoid it, right? But on some level, it is the reality for all of us. And philosophers and theologians and people much smarter than me have been talking and writing and thinking about this problem of pain for centuries, and they still haven't gotten to the bottom of it. So I'm not going to try to do that this morning either. Um, there's a lot of mystery involved. But I can start by telling you that I remember... Very specifically, probably 10 years ago, a moment, I remember exactly where I was in my house, where I thought, there is probably something more difficult coming my way than I have experienced thus far. Wasn't a fearful thought, didn't have this sense of foreboding about it. Um, it was more like a sobering kind of reality check. I just thought, I have lived long enough, I've been in ministry for a long time, I've seen terrible things happen to people. I've walked with people through tragedies and through very difficult circumstances. And I think I was just reminding myself in that moment of the realities of pain in this world. But as is often the case with our suffering, I never could have predicted what was actually coming. My season of significant pain, I will tell you a little about this morning for context, started in 2016 when honestly I was living a pretty good life. Not without some difficulty along the way, but I'd be out of touch with reality if I didn't describe my life as really pretty good. I'm a Midwestern girl, grew up in a Christian family, I'm an only child, had a mostly normal, uh, healthy childhood, married my high school sweetheart, have four great kids, first one was born here in Kansas City. Um, We'd been in ministry our entire lives together, and actually 15 years prior, we had moved from Kansas City to St. Louis to plant a church. 
which at that time was a huge risk. Um, church plants, the, the failure rate for them was high. Most of them didn't make it. Um, so took a huge risk and made that move, believing that God called us to do that. And that church took off in ways that we never expected. And so we thought if we had a church of 250 to 300 people, it would be an absolute miracle if we got that far. In those 15 years, the church grew to a few thousand people. Um, we had five locations in the St. Louis area. My husband was a prominent leader in the church planting network that we were a part of. He wrote five books during those years. He was speaking all over the place. Things were going very well um, in general. However, what I wasn't really aware of and didn't have context for was that my husband had been internally imploding um, on the inside for at least a few years, if not longer. And while there were things that I was concerned about for him, including his physical and emotional health, um, there wasn't anything that I could see that was such a dramatic indicator, you know, that I felt like I needed to talk to our elders and leaders or, or do something about that. And frankly, what I saw wasn't really any different um, from what I knew the other pastors in his situation, you know, were living and experiencing. But in early 2016, in March of that year, my husband's name was Darren, called me into our home office. Uh, crying his eyes out. Our counselor was there. He was in absolute despair and told me that things had reached a breaking point and he had been confronted by the leaders of our church um, and wasn't sure what was going to happen. And I was simultaneously deeply concerned about him and absolutely furious with him at the same time, if I'm honest with you. And I told him, I'm with you no matter what, but I have a feeling that life as we have known it is probably over. And I had no idea how prophetic that statement would actually end up being. Over the next three weeks or so, things unfolded to the point where he was fired from the church that we planted, and rightly so. He needed help. Um, it's always been my position that I would have pulled him out of that pulpit myself if I had knew, known what was going on. He was obviously in a place where he wasn't able to hear um, what our leaders were saying to him, and for reasons that still have not ever been really explained to me, no one brought me into a significant conversation over those years about their concerns about him. So I was completely blindsided. Uh, the next couple of years were absolutely horrific. The loss for our entire family was profound, it was also very public. Darren was suicidal at various times. Um, it absolutely shattered our entire family's world. We thought we would die serving that church. Um, our kids lost their church, obviously. We had people who had been lifelong friends, ministry partners, many of them who completely dropped us, who I have many of them never heard from since. Um, there was a plan put together for us that was supposed to be restorative. And probably the most gracious thing is that, that I can say is I think there were good intentions. Um, but that plan was ultimately more harmful than helpful. The best analogy that I can give you is if, if you need a serious surgery, you need experienced, caring people with expertise to do that for you, and that is not the situation we ended up in. And so the years following that, for at least a couple of years, we were doing a lot of recovering from that plan that was supposed to be restorative. But we did eventually get some help that was profoundly impactful in our lives, um, just a game changer for us. We're able to move into a season of repentance and greater health and moving forward in healthy ways. Then came 2020. 
which brought a lot of challenges for all of us, right? In the spring of 2020, I was aware that my husband was stressed about some things, concerned about some things, but I wasn't seeing anything even close to the level of despair that I had seen in him in 2016, so I considered this normal stress and struggling. On May 7, 2020, my husband went target shooting with a friend, and we texted back and forth a little bit that day about what we were having for dinner. I had seen him that morning. So when he wasn't home when he was supposed to be, that day I wasn't initially concerned. But then when I couldn't get a hold of him and started making a few calls and couldn't locate him, I had this gnawing pit of anxiety that something might be deeply wrong. And then when the police showed up in my house, I knew that something was definitely wrong. So at my front door, the police told me that my husband of 27 years was dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound that they believed was intentional. Nothing prepares you for that moment. Felt like I was standing outside of my body watching what was happening. Um, obviously had to tell all of my children that their father was dead. Had to make a number of horrific phone calls to friends and family and other people because I knew that this news was going to travel really fast. It's a public figure. He was a public figure, so there was press involved. Absolutely life-changing nightmare in every way. About 18 months after his death in November of 21, we were still obviously grieving and adjusting to new realities. I had a small group of family at my house to celebrate Thanksgiving, including my parents. Later that evening, my parents called me from their home a couple hours away and said, we're not feeling well. We found out that we have been exposed to some people who just tested positive for COVID. They tested positive for COVID, as did I a few days later. And I spent that week being sick with worry, for my parents and sick myself, trying to salvage the holidays. It was just our second Christmas um, since Darren had passed away. About a week later, my mom had to call an ambulance for my dad because his pulse oxygen was so low. About a week after that, my 74-year-old dad, who was healthy in every way, died in the hospital on a ventilator from COVID pneumonia and the resulting sepsis. Putting me in the position, obviously, of not just losing a parent, um, but grief upon grief, also immediately becoming the primary caretaker for my mom, who lives a couple hours away, in addition to other responsibility. I probably don't need to tell you that saying that this has been a lot of pain is the understatement of the century for me, right? I'm aware that talking about even one of those events by themselves, let alone all three of them, is enough to kind of suck all the air out of the room, right? I'm also aware that every one of those incidents is messy in some way. When we're talking about a disgraced pastor who's fired from his church, when we're talking about suicide you know, and parent loss, when we're talking about death from COVID, these are overwhelmingly difficult topics. But this is the nature of what pain often is in our lives, right? It's messy. It's hard to talk about. It's hard to contain and get our hands around in any kind of way. It doesn't get all neatly tied up in a bow like we'd like it to be sometimes in this life, which is exactly why we really need to hear from God in the midst of our pain, right? There's a lot I could say on this topic, obviously, but I'm going to give you three things that I've learned this morning and am still learning that I hope will be helpful to you as well. The first is this. I think if we're going to hear God in the midst of our pain and suffering, we need to ask some different questions than we typically ask. When we are in pain, typically... 
the first thing that we want to know, the predominant human question is, why? Why, right? Why me? Why this? Why right now? Why this long? Why this much? Did I bring this upon myself? Why? Seems to be our human proclivity to ask why and to think that clarity will be the thing that brings us the comfort and the peace that we're longing for. We see this in the book of Job, right? Job loses almost everything. What God never gives Job is a reason why. We summarize the book of Job. He loses everything. He asks God all these questions. God says, I'm God. That's enough. And Job says, okay. Never gets the answer to that why question, right? And I think there are a couple of reasons for this that I see. I'm sure there's a lot more. One is that I think the answer to the why is not really what we need. We will settle for clarity, or we think we will, but what God wants to give us is himself. Something much bigger, something much greater than clarity. We also probably can't grasp the why, even if we knew in our limited human understanding. We're just humans. That's all we can ever be. I think even if we had the answers, it wouldn't feel like enough and we wouldn't be able to see it because we just can't, because we're not God. So what are the questions that we can ask instead? I want to give you a few options for these. The first one is this. Is it possible that there's an invitation from God in the midst of my pain? So the question here is, what might God be inviting me to? How is this pain an invitation? Scripture gives us some good ideas about this. If you read James chapter 1, if you look at Romans 5, 3 through 5, there are definitely some things that can happen as we interact with God and experience him in the midst of our pain and our trials. But I think the goal here is to ask and to continue to be open to how God's invitations are unfolding in your life. Um, I will talk at the end here in a moment about some of the gifts that I've gotten as I feel like I've responded to these invitations. But God's inviting you to something, and it's specific to you and your life and your story and your pain. It's specific to you. I can't tell you exactly what it will be, but he will tell you about that if, we, if you interact with him about it. The other thing I would say, though, is we want to avoid declaring too quickly what the invitation is and what the purpose is. I think sometimes, and I've done this too, we so want to get to the point where we feel like we have some control over what's going on, that we say, here it is. This is why. We go back to the why, right? This is the invitation. This is the reason. And I'm telling you, God is always doing more than we can ever see or know. I have glimpses of it here and there. Obviously, something like talking to you about my pain and hopefully being helpful to you is part of the purpose, but I think there's a lot more than that that I don't even have a clue about yet. Not because I'm anything special, but because God is always up to more than we can see, right? He's always doing something bigger. Second question I think we can ask that's important. How do you see God seeing you in your suffering? How do you see God seeing you in your suffering? Great quote that I love from A.W. Tozer. He said, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Is God mad at you? 
Is God weeping with you? What is, what is the face of God like as he's watching you in your suffering? Is he standing back passively saying, well, hopefully she'll make the right choice and figure it out this time. Maybe she'll get it together now. Is he disappointed? Is he beaming with love at you? And I'm not asking you about what you cognitively know up here. I'm asking when you picture God, what is that? It's important to know where you're at on this one, okay? Even if you feel like you have brought your suffering on yourself. We do that sometimes, right? There are things that have consequences. That happens. But when we read the New Testament and we look at the stories that Jesus told, when that prodigal son came home, that was not a disappointed, angry dad standing at the end of the road. That was a dad running towards his child. That's who God is for us in our pain, even when we've done it to ourselves. The Gospels talk about Jesus looking at the crowds and having such compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That is what the Bible tells us about how God is looking at us in our pain, all right? So it is so important that we align our experience with what is true, or we will miss God. We will miss what he's saying to us. We will not hear him in the way that we could if that's the case. Third question that I think we can ask instead of why, where can you risk delight? Where can you risk delight? I had some friends send me a beautiful poem this week that had some of that language in it. It also had this line, which is so good. It said, we must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world. When you have suffered greatly, hope feels like a huge risk, right? If life has pulled the rug out from you, as it has in my case multiple times, it feels incredibly dangerous to enjoy anything about life because it might happen again, right? To smile, to laugh, to believe that God still has good things for you. But you refusing to enjoy your life doesn't protect you from anything. God speaks to us in our pain and he speaks to us in the joy and the beauty that he offers in the midst of it. There is still good in your life. I see it every day. And when we refuse the joy and the gladness, we miss his voice because he is speaking to us in that. I've had enough sadness and loss that it would be easy for me or probably any of you to look at my life and say, you might never laugh or smile again. Too much, too much, right? It would be warranted. But pain is never all there is. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, said Job, right? But don't forget, the Lord gives and he keeps giving. I'm not sorry, nor am I ever going to be sorry that I enjoyed my husband and that I loved being married to him and that I loved the church that we planted and that I loved a lot of aspects of being a pastor's wife and that I loved my dad and that I had a great relationship with him. I miss, in ways, being the person who didn't know what was coming, you know? But I'm not sorry that I enjoyed those things fully in the moment. It's a gift that we don't know what's coming. And that we can enjoy the good things that God gives to us so we can receive that. Can you live a risky, brave, full life, even in the midst of your pain? God is speaking to you 
and will speak to you through those good things that he continues to offer you. Second point I want to make today, and this might be the most important one, if we're going to hear God in the midst of our pain, we have to accept the realities of our stories. We have to accept reality. We prolong our own suffering when we refuse to accept the reality of what is actually happening. Holding on to something for a long time is painful. You ever been holding on like this? It's painful after a while, right? It hurts. Freedom comes in our willingness to surrender and let go. Now, this is a hard thing to do, okay? I'm not acting like this is easy. I think there are two ways that we often deny reality and that we choose not to surrender and not to accept our stories. The first is the more blatant one, right? We just do not want to accept it. I do not like this, God. I cannot believe this. How in the world did I end up in this position? This cannot be right. We could spin around there forever and ever and ever. And this is a necessary part of our grieving when we're in pain, right? There's a part of it that's necessary, but there does come a time when we have to choose to let go. I think we can also get stuck in a loop of what if, right? What if? What if one thing had been different? What if I had made a different choice? What if they made a different choice? What if this one thing shifted and didn't go this way? What would my life be like if this person were still alive or I got the job instead of losing it or all of those things? This alternate reality does not exist. What happened, happened. It doesn't exist. A second way, though, that we can deny reality that's kind of on the opposite side of this is the nicer, more spiritual-sounding side. The whole, well, well, at least I still have this. And kind of this over-focusing on what's good. Now, it sounds like gratitude sometimes, and some of it may be. But sometimes that's serving over here to avoid the realities of what's true. I'm just going to look at what's good still over here so that I don't have to go to what's bad. Okay, And that is not actually a godly response. That is not the same as actual gratitude from the perspective of reality. Those are different things. So naming our realities is important, and I have to do this all the time, and I hate it because I want to forget the things about my life that are hard. I have to remind myself, you are a widow. You are a single parent to four children. You are the head of this household. You are a middle-aged single woman. On and on and on and on and on. And I'm not talking about throwing a pity party or over-identifying with some kind of victim mentality. I'm just talking about being in reality. And because if I'm not in reality, I'm not going to ask God for the help that I need. I'm not going to pray with, it, with real intention. I might use some nice spiritual-sounding words about it, but I'm not getting real with God when that's what I'm doing. It's so important because when you have been thrown into a season of suffering, if it's anything like the one I have, what probably worked in the past isn't working so well anymore. Um, and in my situation, God absolutely plucked me out of these realities where there was no choice. He just took me out of my church, of my ministry life, of my marriage, of my roles, of significant relationships. It was like he said, you're here, and now you're here, sis. So what am I going to do with that? It was like being put on a different planet. Well, if you're on a different planet, you better know where to find the oxygen, right? 
And so we can only do that where we accept the realities and interact with God in that way. I will not take care of myself in the way that I need to. I will not have the energy and stamina to meet the challenges before me every day if I don't acknowledge what life is requiring of me and live in reality and act accordingly and interact with God accordingly. You have to accept the realities of our story. So much evidence of Scripture in Scripture that says that God is in control, right? That's a whole other message. But one verse that I love about this that reminds me that God is writing the story is this verse from Acts 17. This is Paul. He's preaching to the Areopagus, and he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives life and breath to everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. It's God that determines these allotted periods and the boundaries of our lives. He is writing your story. No one can embody your story but you. No one can hear God in the middle of your pain but you. You will hear him in the midst of your pain the more that you can surrender and let go and choose to accept it. Finally, we got to pay attention to our emotions and our bodies if we're going to hear from God in the middle of our pain. If we are going to love God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength, those things have to be involved. We have to interact with him as a whole person, right? Now, I know we sometimes get nervous in church when we talk about emotions, right? Because it feels like a big, scary thing. And we can kind of go to the place of, well, let's not get carried away in trusting those emotions too much and going there too much and... But emotions rarely get talked about as a gift. They're a gift. They're part of how God has wired us and designed us. Emotionally healthy people regularly move through a wide range of emotions. They experience them, and then they move through them. That's an emotionally healthy person. You know who was an emotionally healthy person who did that? Jesus. Read the New Testament. There are examples of Jesus experiencing and living all of these primary emotions. Your emotions are present and active whether or not you acknowledge them or not. They are states in our bodies. When I cry, my nose turns bright red. I hate it. Can I stop that? No. Can I stop tears from coming out of my eyes? No. If someone makes me mad, is my face going to turn red? Is my heart rate going to be elevated? Am I telling my heart rate to elevate? No. It's happening, though. It's happening in our bodies, whether we're acknowledging it or not. And the best way to ensure that you are led around and controlled by your emotions is to ignore them. If you ignore them, they will absolutely rule you. So it has been so important for me, as counterintuitive as it sounds, to lean deeply into how sad I am a lot of the times with God, right? And with people who love me to lean into how angry I have been in this process. 
with God, with people, with my husband, with, you name it. Absolute rage at times. That's the truth. I hate it. But God can't meet me there if I won't tell him and if I won't interact with him about it. God meets us where we are in our most raw emotional states, but we miss him when we're not honest about what is actually going on. I hope that we can learn to read the Bible from a more emotionally realistic perspective. When we read Jesus wept, that's how we read it, right? Jesus wept. We can memorize that verse. What was that like, though? What would it be like to be with Jesus when he was weeping over the death of his friend? What was Jesus' face like when he was weeping? When we read the Psalms, can we read them like David probably wrote them? You know, full of passion, terrified, angry, wishing all his enemies would die. There's emotion there, okay? That's part of the beautiful way that God has made us. We've got to lean into that. And we have to pay attention to our bodies as well, okay? Which is another tricky thing to know how to talk about in church. Often we've got a lot of shame and guilt and things we don't know what to do with and ugh, about our bodies, right? We love to talk about being fearfully and wonderfully made, but what does that mean? We are embodied souls. Nobody's walking around here without a body, right? We have to have them. And it's a gift. And I know it's not perfect. And they get in our way and cause us problems sometimes. But God uses our physical bodies and he interacts through them. We can't interact with God in this life without having a physical body. And if we ignore it, we're going to miss it sometimes. Our brains are amazing. The systems of our bodies and all the ways that they work are amazing. And God meets us and speaks to us as embodied people. Our bodies are giving us all kinds of clues. That headache you've got, that tension right here that you can't get rid of, the fact that you can't sleep, the way your stomach is so anxious, you know, when you're afraid. All of those things are clues and places that God wants to interact with us. We hear from God more clearly in our pain when we acknowledge how it's playing out in all areas of our lives, including our bodies. I'm going to close today by just offering you a little bit of hope and telling you about some of what has happened in me as a result of walking with God in some of these ways over the last several years. And I don't know what gifts God will bring to you as you walk with him through pain, but I hope it encourages you to hear a little about what I've gained even in the midst of so much loss. I have gained a deeper sense that God is truly with me, even when it doesn't feel like it in the way that I want it to. I have had a sense of the presence of God since I was a very little girl, and I don't think I could lose it if I tried. And I've kind of tried, if I'm honest with you. But I've limited that to some degree, I think at times, because of the demands I've put around it. If God is with me, it has to feel like this. And if it doesn't feel like this, then he's not with me. But one of the gifts for me in the pain has been that in those stretches of time, when it felt like God had absolutely left not just the building, but the whole earth, I was able to let go of some of my ideas about what it had to look like and pay attention to how he was showing up 
in ways that might not immediately feel like it, but that I could pay attention to. That has set my roots down way deeper. It's been a gift. I've also experienced that God is, is who he says he is, even when I didn't get the outcome that I wanted. And I didn't get the outcome that I wanted in those three instances that I told you about. It's one thing to say that God is good when the person that we love is healed, when we don't lose the job, when things work out. It is another thing entirely to grow a faith that stands firm regardless of the outcomes. To know that God is who he says he is and that he is unchangeable no matter what happens in my life. He is the same. He's the same. It's a beautiful passage at the end of Habakkuk that I love because it says, if this goes wrong and this goes wrong and this goes wrong, God is still God. That has been a gift from the pain that I have lived. I've also seen God's hand and God's provision in the trajectory of my history. And I could give you countless examples of this, but I've seen ways that God was preparing me for the things that happened in ways that I had no idea, but he was preparing me. A few years before my husband was fired from the church, a few months actually before we was fired from the church, I had a dream. You know, Pastor Tim talked about dreams in one of his previous messages. I know it's outside of some of our paradigm. Just hang with me, okay? I had a dream. Here was a dream. I was having eye surgery. And a pastor that I really respected was doing the eye surgery. I don't know. It's just the dream, okay? But I said, I said to him, oh, I'm just going to have it on this one eye, right? And he said, no, you need it in both eyes. And I woke up and I thought, what was that? Well, maybe I need to see some things differently. And then three months later, I was seeing some things very differently. God prepared me. Probably about five years before my husband died, um, I came across a pretty famous book, not a Christian book. It's called The Year of Magical Thinking by an author named Joan Didion. Um, again, not a Christian book, but pretty famous book. She wrote about the sudden death of her husband. And I probably read that book six or seven times in those five years because it was interesting. The writing was great. I thought it was just a book I enjoyed. I think God might have had something else going on there right, in preparing me in some ways. I could give you 50 more examples of that, that I see more clearly now, of God preparing me in ways that I never could have anticipated or seen at the time. Resilience has been another gift. There's more to you than you think there is. When you survive things that you think that you can't, you see that there is a substance and a weightiness to the way that God has made us. And I'm not talking about an ungodly self-reliance or depending on your own strength or being unstoppable or being superhuman. It's none of that. But there is something to you that can withstand more than you think. And when you see that playing out in your life, it is a beautiful thing. It is an encouraging thing, not just about how God has made you, but about who God is. Finally, I would say, I have been able to be seen and known and loved at deeper levels than I have before in my pain. There is something about our pain that just does not let us be a very filtered self, you know? We're just kind of where we are. 
And it's not all that pretty at times. I was at a retreat earlier this year with some people who love me and who know my story. And I was just talking about how disappointed I was with God. And I was just ugly crying. There is no, you know what that looks like? It's just not pretty, right? There's no way to make it pretty. It's just a mess. It's kind of embarrassing. It's kind of humiliating. But there was nothing else I could do in that moment but just be real with those people. And the number of people afterward that came up to me and said, Amy, there is such beauty in watching you wrestle with God and wrestle with the realities of your life in that way. I thought, what? (laughs) It feels anything but beautiful. But when people see you and know you and love you in that, it gives us such a glimpse of how God sees us and knows us and loves us, right? Without our filters, without all the ways we try to keep it together. This verse from Ephesians, I think, sums that up so well when Paul said that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. This is my prayer for us today. That as we listen to God in the midst of our pain, that we experience how deeply known and profoundly loved we are in ways that transform us and free us and that are beyond what we could ever imagine. Let's pray. God, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you that you know us and that you love us so deeply that you see all of our pain, that you are with us. And God, we need you. We need to hear from you. I pray that each of us would be able to take one of these things today, one thing that has stuck out in our mind, and just talk to you about it. And I ask you, God, to meet us there, to meet us in ways that surprise us, that change us, that transform us, that show us who you are and how deeply you love and care for us, even in the midst of terrible circumstances. Thank you, God, that you are in control and that you are trustworthy and that you are who you say you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. I, I can't tell you how much she helped us today. You know, we, we, read, we read the Psalms. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. How? How do I lay hold on that? That's how. Exactly like that. And, uh, and I, I just simply refuse, guys, no matter how big this church gets, to not try to put in front of you the authenticity of our brokenness and the authenticity of God's promises to us at the exact same time. So here's, here's what I need. Uh, if you came prepared to give, you can do it at the door. I want you to come to growth track, all that kind of thing. But I, I, beyond a shadow of a doubt, some of you have gone through something in the last couple of years and it's knocking around in your head and in your soul right now. And, and, and I wanna ask you, we have leaders down front, I wanna ask you to come down and pray and talk and engage with this, okay? It, it feels heavy to listen to somebody talk about their thing, but it's nowhere near as heavy as what's happening with your thing. And we wanna help you get to Jesus in a way that is true and 
and, and helps you lay, lay hold to that. So I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then you're going to be dismissed. And if we can serve you in any way, uh, have any kind of conversation, there's leaders down here who would love to do it. Come on, say amen if you understand that. All right, we love you and uh, are trusting good things for you. Why don't you stand up and let me pray over us, and, uh, and then we'll be dismissed. Can you thank Amy one more time for that? It was fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you. Let's pray. God, we love you. I thank you for, uh, for the life of Darren and uh, your kindness to us through him, for the people that will be in heaven because of his ministry. And Lord, I, as I listen to it, think that, uh, that uh, maybe Amy's been the better communicator and all those things this whole time. I'm grateful for it, Lord. She's one of my favorite people. You know that. And I'm grateful for the way that she just was very courageous in talking to us today, very humble and very courageous, but with a lot of authority in saying, it hasn't been easy, but God's been faithful. And Lord, we don't talk about that enough in the church. We say things are good when they're not. Uh, we don't really know how to lay hold of who you say that we are and who you say that you are. And so Lord, my prayer for, for Miss Amy and my prayer for this church is God that we, we could walk with you in such a way that we can live in the realities of our own brokenness and the victory that you say we have in Jesus. And this is the Christian life. And so, Lord, I pray for the people who need to come forward right now, that you'll just give them the courage to do it. Uh, for those of us, Lord, who uh, have heard from you today, would you continue to be speaking to us? Lord, we believe that you're talking and that you're moving and that you have good things for us, Lord, and we want them not only for our joy, but also for your glory. And so we ask that you'll bring these things to pass. Bless us as we go. Protect us as we go. Give us a great week. Uh, hear us as we pray. We love you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen and amen.